Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Very excited to be breaking down Governor Kathy Hochul's 2022 agenda, her state of the state policy book meets her executive budget that was just released the day before we're speaking. We're talking here on Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. We now have a a pretty good outline of the governor's uh, agenda here for what could be her only full year in power as governor, depending on how the election this year goes. So there's an important political backdrop to all this of course, and very excited to welcome to the show to discuss it all and what it means and the highlights and the question marks and where we go from here. I'm joined today by Bernadette Hogan, the Albany Bureau Chief for the New York Post, and Anna Gronwald, the Albany Correspondent for Political New York, who writes Playbook. Uh, Thank you both for being here. Yeah, thanks so much. So let's start big picture here. As often happens with the governor, uh, whoever the governor might be, there's a huge policy agenda. There's a h- hundreds of billions of dollars here in plan spending, a $216 billion executive budget plan put forward by Governor Hochul. There is, there's just so much here to chew on, and obviously listeners can read uh, things from all three of our outlets that, that have a lot of the details. But big picture here, uh, Bernadette, how, what what feel do you have for sort of how Governor Kathy Hochul is trying to present to New Yorkers, present to the state legislature, present to other powers that be and stakeholders, what her agenda is here as governor in what I said, you know, as I said, could be her only real shot at, at shaping a, a budget and a full year of an agenda in Albany as governor. What what's your sense of how she's sort of trying to present her agenda to the to all the stakeholders here? Right. So Kathy Hochul, big picture, is trying to keep everyone happy. As you mentioned, this could be her one shot at doing a massive state budget. And she has a couple of things in her favor. Number one, we are flush with cash from the federal government. Of course, we had major shortfalls last year due to loss in jobs, revenue, et cetera, due to the coronavirus. But Kathy Hochul has the benefit of having a lot of aid that came to New York. So she's got that on the table. But then also we had revenues come in even higher than expected. So we're able to put that money into reserves. Uh, right now they said at least 15%, which budget washogs are very happy with. They said, hey, that could be even higher, but that's a great start. And and, and that's because we have a surplus in funds. So. Hochul is also giving a lot of money to a bunch of different sectors, right? We had an increase in education aid of about 2 billion. So schools are gonna see something like 3.1.2, I believe, or 3.1.2 billion dollars in total uh, state spending for education. That's obviously making a lot of people very happy. Um, We also have more money for Medicaid. We have bonuses for healthcare workers who have been exhausted throughout the pandemic. Um, and then other little pots of money that, again, she's she has to run for a campaign. She, she's got to run for a full term and also keep everyone happy. So she's she's a little bit playing it safe. But again, the state's rich right now. She's got the money to do it right. She's got the money to try to try to be something for everybody here. As you said, um, you know, some of the, the highlights of the executive budget presentation are a, another big jump in education aid to localities 
lots of money towards healthcare. Those are always the two biggest buckets in the in the state budget: healthcare and education. That's not even touching higher education, where she's also putting some more money. Um, and then and then a, a lot of other plan spending in in other uh, areas. Anna, what are you? How are you sort of characterizing how the governor is approaching presenting her agenda? Um, how is she sort of trying to position herself here to New Yorkers as she gets her real one big shot to, um, you know, sort of showcase her both policy and budget agenda to New Yorkers? You know, I think Bernadette's absolutely right. Um, there's there is so much good in the budget that very few people could come out and really complain. Even some folks that I talked to yesterday who are so, you know, the, the budget watchdogs, the people who have been um, saying that New York is not being prudent with its funds, um, you know, since the early 90s. And they came in and said, wow, I've never seen a, I've never seen a budget start in the black like this with this sort of spending and say we're doing this sort of saving. So they didn't quite know what to make of it. Of course, there are small details. Maybe they wish that it would have gone this way or the other. But I think people were generally... Um, hard pressed to find something that they could immediately criticize. Um, but I do think it's interesting that there didn't seem to be, and I don't know, maybe, maybe either of you would have a different perspective on this, but there didn't seem to be one overarching top line as in what is, what is the theme of what is Kathy Hoka all about and what is she going to drive forward? It just seemed like let's put money here and here and here and here and you guys love this, right? And everyone said, well, yeah, we kind of do. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, because um, I was trying to parse out if there was, what, what is the lead there? And it's just kind of like the state's rich. And so I think on one hand, um, that is definitely good if you are looking to convince voters from every different sector. Um, but on the other hand, I, I wonder what people would say if they were asked, what is Kathy Hochul all about here? And um, that's something that generally in the past has been reflected in the budget, um, but it didn't seem to be immediately clear right now. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, I was thinking about the same thing leading up to this discussion is how would I sort of characterize, oh, you know, this is what Governor Hochul is really making her sort of signature issues or her signature proposals. And I'm not sure that I have anything there, Bernadette. I mean, you know, do you jump in if, if you do. She's obviously looking to um, make pandemic sort of recovery is is obviously a focus issue, you know, very broadly speaking. And but that goes to to virtually every you know subcategory. Um, the healthcare spending particularly seems to be you know in that in that vein. And there are some real concerns about the healthcare workforce, and that's what you know you mentioned one of the proposals around you know bonuses for healthcare workers and a lot more spending on healthcare and then obviously schools coming out of the pandemic have a lot of need and, and there was a lot of federal money for schools and then now more state state money as well. Um, you know, she's branded, you know, sort of her agenda, a, a new era for New York. And I think that goes to, you know, stuff that for the most part, New Yorkers aren't that concerned with in terms of, uh, you know, ethics reform and a better, you know, collaborative relationship with the legislature. Both of those things are very important, obviously, um, you know, but they're not the meat and potatoes issues that, you know, a lot of voters care about. Do you have a sense of how, uh, you know, if there's signature things, you know, that she's really focused on here? Right. No, to Anna's point. I mean, look, Hochul's speech was 16 minutes, a little bit over. If this were last year or just any year of 
during the Cuomo administration, that speech would have been an hour or, or you know, very close to, which it's totally a different, um, you know, it's a different feel again, like everything kind of sounds the same, but there are, you know, there are good things, but there's not one top line that's like, oh my God, we're going to give, you know, X amount to this group or that group, right? Like there's no, there's no big surprise. Like for example, last year in the state budget, um, the legislature got a big win with over $2 billion for the excluded workers fund. And that was a big shock because, you know, it is more on the progressive side and it deals with a, a very left part of the legislature that wanted that, you know, that in the budget. And it was interesting that the former administration acquiesced to that. But looking at a rundown of what Hopel's putting in, you know, a lot of things are a continuation, right? You know, she's continuing um, tax credits for, for the film industry, right? And economic development, which have been criticized up and down uh, for the past couple of years. There's also, um, oh, and another part, part is the tax abatement for property tax owners. Mm. So it's $2 billion. As you brought that up. Yes. Yeah. So it's, and that's something that like is totally an election year um, issue because one could argue, is that the best use of state funds, right? Like if I'm a property tax owner and I'm pretty well off, do I really need that extra $400 in my bank account? Or can that be used for somewhere else in the budget? But that, that aside, I mean, Last year, there was four billion dollars that were was put into the budget with the personal income tax hike and also the corporate tax hike. And one thing that the budget um, director Robert Mujica could have done, and we asked about this yesterday during the press conference, is roll back those those tax hikes because they've been controversial in the business community. And also, if we're looking at population loss. Hochul, Hochul talked about it two weeks ago during a state of the state. We've had something like, I don't even want to give the number because I'll probably get it wrong, but you have in the hundred thousands of individuals that have left New York um, for a better either business climate, you know, they're teleworking, remote work has totally, you know, changed the landscape in both New York City and throughout the state and the country. But if if the budget director and the governor are both saying tax migration, remote work have really been a big hit on the economy, then what is the logic of keeping these controversial tax hikes um, on the table? And one could say, well, you know, the wealthy should pay more. That's been, you know, the democratic line. The wealthy should pay more. They have it. They can do that. However, if the state is also getting quite a bit amount of money from that, you know, top 1%, the more and more billionaires in that category that leave, it's really going to be a hit to, it's going to be a hit down the road. It, it was very interesting on that front. I mean, you know, listening to the budget director, Robert Mujica, you know, sort of continue to raise some questions about where, you know, where are uh, some of the members of that, you know, important tax base working? Or have they left New York City for other parts of the state? Have they left the state altogether? And And the trends you mentioned are, you know, sort of this well, really, I think, you know, decades long trend of New York population loss compared to the rest of the country, but questions around, uh, you know, in recent years, especially how to stem stem those losses. But at the same time, Mujica said it, there's no indication as of yet that those tax increases from last year have led to an out migration. As far as I was concerned, I was pretty surprised to hear him say that, but also feel like it's slightly early for anybody to make any real Agreed. assessments of those of those impacts. 
Uh, Anna, th- there was really an interesting piece of the the budget plan from the from the governor where she said she's going to take two billion dollars in pandemic relief funds, and she's not deciding what you know she wants it to be spent on. She's going to work with the legislature on that. Would you would you make of that, and where do you where do you see that heading? Well, again, I think that's a really interesting kind of departure from her predecessor um, that she is saying, "Here's a pot of money. What do you guys want to do with this pot?" Um, and I, I'm not quite sure. I was actually talking to um, a, a Senate member about that yesterday, and they were kind of confused. Like, so do you want us to decide, or like, do you, you not? You don't actually want to propose something, or is there something maybe in place in the works that she didn't want to announce yet because it's controversial, or does she not really know? I think the the um, boundaries of that relief aid uh, are very, very vague. And so it sounds like it could be used for anything. And I wonder if maybe they're trying to feel that out and they are going to hear some complaints or some um, requests in the future for maybe things that she didn't put in her budget. And then they could say, oh, actually that's what this pot of money is for. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know that a lot of people have mentioned that could even go as far as childcare initiatives that could even go as far as different I, I don't know if I, didn't she say it could go toward ERAP funds? It could go, um, yeah, no, that yeah. she, yeah, possibly for more rent or landlord relief. Mm-hmm. So it's all over the place, and yeah. uh, you know, two billion in in the grand scheme of two hundred sixteen billion seems small, but it's quite a bit of money that could do a bit of good in a lot of places. And I think that there is the flip side to having this much money um, is that the outliers will be very, very confused why they don't get something. Mm. And um, they will also, you know, there's not that excuse anymore. Like, sorry, we're broke. We can't spend this money on your thing, advocates. Um, They'll say, well, you gave this, you know, you're fixing potholes over here. Can't you give us a little bit of money? I think that's a really interesting point. You know, on, on this $2 billion pot that she wants to determine with the legislature, a couple of the things that you know caught my ear about it were, again, going back to this idea that this is unfolding during election year. So you have this sort of $2 billion, not to be too cynical, but slush fund of sorts, <laughs> right? That, you know, could absolutely be be used to, you know, help favor a certain constituency, uh, whether it's, you know, outside of government or the legislators that are close to, you know, that, that advocacy area or whoever it might be, or just legislators who, you know, want a significant priority funded, the rental or landlord relief uh, angle. And then the third is what Bernadette mentioned with the excluded workers fund, which Governor Hochul did not, uh, is not recommending at this point, at least replenishing. But when I had State Senator Jessica Ramos on the show last week, she said she's you know, she's very focused on trying to get some money in the next budget to replenish that excluded workers fund that is mostly state aid for undocumented New Yorkers who didn't who were not eligible for federal relief. So those are a few things that crossed my mind. Bernadette, you were going to jump in with something. I hope I didn't take your thought. But, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. But I just <laughs> wanted to piggyback off of sure. Anna on that two billion. If that's going to be something to watch, the two billion dollars in pandemic relief funding, whatever that means, because I was I was just on the phone with um, you know one of the budget watchdogs that has been looking at this because I was talking about it yesterday and I said well, I don't understand like is this new spending that like where is this included in the budget and at that point yesterday we had not seen the tables 
Um, if you look at this year's projections and then, you know, in the out years, there's not really a spot that this $2 billion is. And maybe that's again, because it hasn't been allocated. We don't know what they're spending it on, but it's not included in the plan. So it's going to be interesting to see if the total overall spending is increased when we see the final budget minted at the end of March, early April. But that's just, you know, that kind of blank check for the legislature, like Hochul technically is showing her cards. She's saying, hey, I have $2 billion. Whereas Cuomo, he used to present a budget and the legislature, both the Senate and the assembly, they would come come back with their tables and say, well, you know, we want spending increased by, by $5 billion, by $3 billion. And then they'd usually come to an agreement, you know, meet halfway or, you know, closer to the governor's budget. But Hochul's saying, hey, I have $2 billion to play with, which again, could be a good thing, but it could also be, well, you know, if you have this much money and you're giving it around to everybody, well, what about my project? Right. So, well, to Anna's point, it, curious. Yeah. To, to Anna's point, I mean, it is absolutely, it's, it's sort of in this theme of a, of a new style, right. A more collaborative style, but, it, but it also, you know, as we were both saying, it, you know, could have some um, unintended consequences or stir up some controversy or be seen, you know, cynically. And, and I do want to underscore your point too, about this uh, property tax mm-hmm. uh, relief, which is basically a proposal that the state is going to send uh in some over $2 billion to New Yorkers right before an election, which is, is, is pretty shameless, uh, you know, but, but again, has plenty of precedent in politics, obviously, but is, but is quite a move to, uh, to do that uh, in an election year, of course. Um, So, so what else stands out here? You know, there, there are so many issues, uh, obviously in the state of the state, are there particular policy proposals that stood out to either of you that are worth sort of highlighting, even if they don't seem to be major priorities, they're things that are either going to be somewhat controversial or just very interesting for the governor to be putting forward. Are there pieces of the budget plan that were just put out that, you know, that, that sort of caught your, uh, you know, your eye or your ear that are particularly interesting or things you've heard uh, from legislators or, or interest groups or watchdogs that they're flagging. Anything else, Anna, you know, that, that is worth noting at this point that we haven't mentioned yet? You know, I think so far, um, Hochul has signaled that she does want to empower local governments and that the um, squabbles or perhaps power struggles that, um, Cuomo had with some local leaders, or even even the idea that the state should be in control of all of these things um, is not how she wants to operate. And we did see that um, she there's counties had to come to the legislature every couple years to have authority over their sales tax. And she said that like that's not something that needs to happen anymore as long as they stay at their current rates or um, I think below four percent. And you know. That's something I think that they've been asking for for quite some time. And it's always been squashed. And everyone that you talk to says it's kind of bizarre that they have to do that. They have to come like grovel for this thing that they already are going to get. Um, so those smaller proposals, I think, underscore or at least send a signal that she is interested in actually doing what she said. Um, and she also proposed a four year extension of mayoral control for New York City schools um, for Eric Adams. And that's another thing that. It was kind of like de Blasio had to come ask the legislature and Cuomo, please, please give me my power. 
Um, and I don't think you could find many people who would say that state lawmakers and the governor didn't maybe enjoy that a little bit. And perhaps Hochul will start her own sort of rivalries with local leaders, but those aren't hers anymore. And I think those are some signals that she um, would like to let some of those weirdly precedented things go. And I'll, I'll add to that list. I mean, always these big increases in education aid, uh, which is, which it, you know, certainly are things that some of the budget watchdogs have flagged as, you know, questionable to just keep throwing billions more each year towards education when, you know, in a lot of parts of the state, the results are not necessarily, you know, indicative of of the progress that you would think with the, you know, the the high high per pupil spending in New York. Um, but 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 adding you know again more uh, education aid in a in a pretty significant jump again coming out of a pandemic where kids have lost so much schooling you know there might be more of an argument for it than ever before, but adding that in continuing uh, the state to pick up local Medicaid shares of money is in this budget you know there is a lot of this sort of trying to pay attention to to local needs Bernadette anything you want to highlight you know things we haven't mentioned particularly. Noteworthy proposals. I think that point about mayoral control of city schools is obviously a big one for our New York City audiences. Uh, but what else do you have? Yeah, totally. I mean, just number one on mayoral control, it's again, it's totally a gift to Eric Adams. It's an indication that she wants to work with him. And also, she's, it's no skin off her nose, maybe to to him, it's going to make his life a little easier. So she wants to continue to forge partnerships with New York City. And as she's running for a full term, that's a good start. Um, another two items that I was looking at were projections for marijuana um, licensing sales. That's been something that was put in the budget last year, but has been really slow on, on just getting started, right? So sales are projected to begin now in 2023, which is a year later than had been said last year. And part of that is just because the state couldn't get it up and running fast enough. They couldn't hire people. They couldn't issue regulations, et cetera. It was just slow. But in the budget, they do have a projection for something like 56, a high of 56 million um, coming from licensing fees for like growers and sellers. And that will be the lead up to then when sales will be legal in the state. So that's that's something that I think is just going to be popular. And then also the casino licenses for downstate. So this, though, was a little interesting how she put it out because um, they couldn't accelerate the opening of downstate casinos until 2023 just by state constitution. But what Hochul's doing is saying we can start the RFP process early, meaning just request for proposals, interested bidders can come in early and get that process, which is usually long, like the timeline is extended, et cetera. Um, but they can come in early and start start to get the ball rolling there so that they actually more are more on time than before. And that's now coming with the advent of mobile sports betting, which has been a clear success since it started, what, two weeks ago, last weekend? Um, and that was controversial with Cuomo's budget last year because he wanted to, he, he created a mechanism where the state would get more revenue than the operators. And I think I saw a projection like 150 million made within the first weekend. And that's just something that's popular with consumers, right? You had people in New York City going across the bridge to New Jersey where their apps of work would work. So they could, I, instead of betting illegally, they could bet legally. So 
that that's going to be something to watch too. Like how much cash will flow into New York state and um, where will these new casinos be in downstate? How will that, how will that complicate things in a place like Manhattan where real estate is already hard to come by and how much will it piss off community board members and lawmakers? (laughs) No, the, the possibility of, you know, even one casino in, uh, in New York city, much less Manhattan, you know, is obviously, uh, the kind of thing that could set off some, some really, uh, interesting debates and battles Mm -hmm. in in the years to come. Yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating list, right? It's like new casinos, uh, marijuana, sports betting, you know, sort of the, the, all the um, vices, the vice, you know, the vices and the the sin taxes that come with them. (laughs) Um, you know, very interesting. Again, you know, this is again, I'm not, not at all to argue against it. I think there's very, very interesting arguments, obviously, for legalizing lots of stuff and regulating it versus trying to, you know, have prohibition on it or making people, you know, who want to gamble go to go to other states. But there's obviously lots of question marks around implementation and the portions of the revenue that then go to, you know, services for gambling addiction and all sorts of other things like that, of course, you know, are, are part of the equation here. Um some other, you know, I don't want to gloss over, as I said at the beginning, there's so much to the state of the state agenda. There's so much to the executive budget. We can't get to it all. Again, pointing listeners to, you know, written pieces by Politico, The Post, Gotham Gazette, and others. Uh, but there are really big, uh, you know, investments in this budget, obviously, in things like uh, climate-related initiatives, infrastructure, housing, uh, anti-gun violence programming. I mean, there's you know, there's there's a lot on a lot. Of course, um, you know, I think uh, for me, one of the interesting things to watch here is most of this stuff is going to be uh, you know approved. There might be some tweaks to different things. You know, the governor has a lot of power via the executive budget to to get you know most of what the governor wants into the adopted budget that is due by April first. Um, but I do think some of the conversation around climate related investments and climate related uh, policies will be very interesting to watch because, there are questions about the state being able to meet the the mandates of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act that was passed in 2019. So I think that'll be interesting to watch uh, as as some of this goes forward. The other thing, and feel free to jump in on that, either of you, but the other thing I wanted to bring up here uh, is, you know, Governor Hochul, legislative leaders have mostly now been sort of Uh, staying away from a lot of the discussions on criminal justice reform, but it seems like, especially given things that Mayor Eric Adams has said, uh, again, with the New York City focus here, there's going to be further discussions around things like bail reform, raise the age, uh, Eric Adams wants to see adjustments to. Do either of you think there's any appetite from the governor on uh, reopening some of these things? She had sort of indicated previously that she was open to looking at bail reform, but it seems like the legislative leaders have sort of shut that down. But Eric Adams continues to talk about it. So I guess that's that's a a start to the question to both of you are of are there issues that you foresee being sort of sticking points here as we now move into the legislative evaluation of the budget and those negotiations? Anna, why don't you start? Are there are there topics that you see any big differences coming on? I'm also thinking about maybe ethics reform, um, but any thoughts? Yeah, I, I do completely agree with you that um, 
public safety is going to be a huge issue. It's something that voters have signaled that they are concerned about. I think the top priority last poll we saw on it um, across both parties was something that um, New Yorkers indicated they wanted to see the state address. And everyone has their own idea about how to go about that specifically within the Democratic Party. Um, but if they're all gonna try to get along like they have signaled they want to this new era of Democrats in charge, it's gonna be uh, very interesting because there doesn't seem to be one clear um, alignment there specifically between Adams and Hochul. I think that they, Hochul has, in her state of the state and even in her budget laid out a bunch of um, policy that she would focus on specifically um, tracking illegal weapons, gun violence uh, prevention, and again, more collaboration with local groups and governments to try to achieve some of these goals. Um, but it has been a little bit vague and she has definitely stayed away from some of the stickier topics, which include um, bail reform and you know, maybe Eric Adams more um, specific law enforcement involvement um, intensive policies. And so I, I wish I had some sort of hypothesis for how that will play out, but I think it'll definitely be part of the conversations. And that's something that, um, Hochul is definitely up in the governor's race, but that's something that Republican opponents that um, Tom Swazi, who's challenging her within the party, um, will continue to hammer her on until, you know, the general election November. And so I don't know how you shy away from that. And I think you're right that the legislative leaders have said they don't want to dive back into the bail reform conversation, but um, I don't think that's one that's going away either. And especially if there are continued um, indications that crime and violent crime are going up, whether or not those things uh, correlate, I think that that is a line that opponents will continue to draw. Mm. And we can we can all circle it right now. February 9th is when uh, Mayor Adams will is due to to give uh, testimony at the joint state legislative uh, budget hearing. So that'll be cup day. That'll, that'll be the uh, the New York City mayor leads leads off usually ten cup day. Uh, I believe be virtual again this year, but. Um, but that'll be really interesting to see how he comes into that hearing, which, again, is to the legislature, but it's addressing the governor's budget and then other priorities and whether he's going in really focused on criminal justice reform or he's, you know, backed off by then a little bit. And it's sort of more of a, uh, a mention in his you know remarks. Um, but certainly I would expect Republican lawmakers at that hearing to press him on that because, you know, they, they might be more aligned with him than some of the Democratic legislators. Uh, Bernadette, what do you foresee here as any, you know, potential sticking points between the governor and the legislature uh, or, or just, you know, more sort of controversial uh, aspects of where we're heading here over the next few months? Right. I mean, look, a lot of that depends on what does the legislature want. Not really sure what the assembly, like what Carl Hastie wants, right? top Democrat in the assembly or Andrea Stewart Cousins. I mean, again, when you are all in the same party, it becomes a little different and maybe more nuanced, but obviously we saw that spill over in, on many sides of the aisle when Cuomo was fighting with the legislature. But look, I mean, I think just, just to harp on bail, that is something that Republicans and Democrats are going to continue to hammer the legislature, the governor on. and. They, I mean, they can just point to the recent elections where Democrats lost massively on Long Island. 
which is a purple voting base, right? You have Democrats and Republicans. And Eric Adams, you know, he got slammed the other day um, for saying that, you know, kind of downplaying a little bit this perception of fear in the subways. And he did backtrack yesterday and he said, look, there is a perception of fear, but it's justified. Because when somebody's shoved on the subway tracks in Times Square, you know, you're not even in a remote part of the city. You're not even like, it's not even like 5 a.m. or 12 p.m. You're in the middle of Times Square where like you've got tourists, you've got commuters, et cetera. And that, you know, is something that really, that is the poster child then for violence and this perception of, of crime in the city. And, you know, whether it really does um, reflect an uptick in crime, at that point doesn't matter when you do see this all over the place and the mayor and the governor have to address it. And that's something the governor has talked about with homelessness, right? Like they are getting at these crime issues. The governor has something like $224 million um, for gun related, for, for crime um, initiatives in the state budget. And that is an increase from last year, but she doesn't need to pick a fight with the legislature on a controversial issue like bail reform, right? She, again, she's running, she's on a campaign. And if Eric Adams isn't going to make a big issue of it, then she doesn't need to either. She, her prerogative is going to be playing it safe. And why would she get into a controversial fight that is completely unnecessary? But again, that doesn't mean that Republicans and other, other Democrats won't slam her for it every single week. They're going to have to deal with it either way, just like they've had to deal with since 2019 when they made these changes. Well, and they can fight next year. The legislature is all that up too. for election as well. So right. they can, next year, everyone will be jumping on their big issues. This year, how about they just hold hands, get things done? Mm. Right. Interesting. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and yeah. just to that point again, if they want to get people back into the offices and back into New York City, then you know what? you are going to have to address these issues like homelessness, crime, um, well, you know, just- and, and, you know, the you brought up Long Island, you know, this is where, uh, and I asked this again last week to, to State Senator Ramos, who's from, you know, a, a very progressive, uh, represents a very progressive part of Queens uh, and is one of the more progressive lawmakers, but asked her, your, your more moderate colleagues who represent more swing districts, Long Island, et cetera, aren't they talking about maybe we should look at bail reform, you know, and she said, yes, absolutely. Those conversations are, are happening. So, you know, in an election year, uh, not only do Democrats want to put forward this, you know, notion of unity, but they have, you know, they have different constituencies and different races that they're trying to win. And that also goes to Hochul trying to win a statewide race while you have a lot of left-leaning legislators, you know, especially in the city, uh, who might, you know, some of them might wind up endorsing uh, Jamani Williams in the race or, you know, whatever it might be. And there might be some tension there. Uh, I did want to mention, I know this came up once early in the conversation, but child care policy, again, going back to the conversation with Senator Ramos, but, but much broader than that, of course, because this has been an issue that Governor Hochul is making a focus, child care policy, child care uh, program funding, definitely an issue to watch here going forward. All right. In our last minute here, um, Anna, Bernadette, why don't you each just give a, a, a big picture sort of uh, assessment, Anna, why don't you start us off, of where the, the gubernatorial primary, we won't even get into the general election at this point because we've got two primaries happening, but um, the Democratic primary that Governor Hochul, according to polling, has a significant lead in, 
what's sort of just your one minute kind of capture of the lay of the land there and what you're watching for as this race unfolds on top of all the substantive issues that we're talking about on the government side? Uh, what's the lay of the land on the Democratic side? And then Bernadette, why don't I come to you for just a quick note on the Republican primary and we'll we'll wrap our conversation there. But uh, Anna, uh, sort of give us the, the big picture on the Democratic primary for governor right now. I mean, look, Kathy Hochul is in an extremely strong position right now. Um, the, the polling that we saw that came out uh, yesterday, I believe, shows her um, doing far, far better than her other opponents right now. Um, and de Blasio was included in that um, polling. And he yesterday said he was not interested or he was not going to run for governor. Who's, who knows if he's interested or not? Um, so interestingly enough, he was her closest in the polling that 12% of Democrats, I think, said that they would they would support him and um, he is no longer in the race. So we still have Tom Swazi, who is running to the right of Hochul a little bit. Um, and he is probably looking at having to petition his way onto the ballot um, at the convention because it seems like Hochul does have a, um, a, a majority of support from the party right now. But um, he's still going strong and still um, has said that he is committed to seeing this through. We also have Jamani Williams, uh, New York City public advocate. And we haven't heard much from him on the gubernatorial side. He's, you know, he's put out some statements, done some events, but it hasn't been um, it hasn't been very active uh, campaign. And obviously all of these um, are, these competitors right now are pretty dwarfed by the 20 million that Kathy Hochul mm. has in the bank now. Indeed, okay. indeed, yeah. Tom, Tom, Tom Swazi has, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 million or so. Uh, yeah. And Jamani Williams, certainly certainly far behind that. So that that is you know going to be, between endorsements and fundraising uh, and Hochul cleaning up on both, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if, if Swazi and or Williams, you know, is in it for the long haul here. Um, a lot more to talk about on that race, but um, uh, Bernadette, as you mentioned, you know, Democrats have full control of the legislature and the governor's office, but there's, you know, uh, elections that we just had that showed some Republican gains in New York. They're obviously making this gubernatorial race a huge focus. Uh, what's what's your quick sort of lay of the land of the Republican primary for governor right now? Look, Republicans are energized and they think they've got the best chance at really holding a good competitive race against a Democrat um, and, and a competitive race that they haven't seen since Pataki, right? Which how many that over a decade ago? So you've got Lee Zeldin, a Long Island Republican who has been aligned with Trump, right? But he's also a veteran. Um, he's got some, you know, he's he's got very pro-Trump alignments, which you know will be a negative for him in a general election, considering New York is just so blue. But you know, I, I don't know. I mean. The crime issue is just such a problem in the suburbs and rural, the rural New York that that could be some, that that could be in his favor. Well, listen, we also saw we even saw some Republican gains in the city, right? Because seemingly of of issues around public safety and education and others. So, um, I, you know, I'm 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 definitely among those who think you know, especially when you don't have an Andrew Cuomo. Uh, you know, sort of powerhouse on the ballot, although Kathy Hochul with this fundraising, uh, I think, uh, you know, is really showing some strength here. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I'm one who who 
definitely thinks if there's going to be a year where Republicans, you know, can kind of feel like they have a shot in a general election for governor, this might be this might be it. Um, Absolutely. And a New York City voter is very different from someone on Long Island versus someone in Westchester mm-hmm. or in the Hudson Valley even. Right. Like also. We shouldn't yeah. discount Andrew Giuliani here, by the way. I will know. So I was just going to get to that, too. Yeah. Andrew Giuliani. Um, and I don't remember what his campaign finance report uh, posted, but not strong. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got his father's name, right? He's got Rudy yeah. Giuliani, who you know, Rudy Giuliani was someone that was the shining knight after 9/11, which is just still very near and dear to so many New Yorkers and like across the nation. And you know, you talk to people and they really like him. He's gregarious. He's somebody that's um, been out and about. And his the name recognition alone could be a huge plus for him. And then you also have Rob Astorino, who ran against Cuomo in 2014. He lost. He also lost re-election bid as Westchester County Executive and State Senate. Um, he had a little over a million dollars, I believe, in his campaign filings. But he's still in the race. He plans on petitioning his way onto the ballot. And then Lee Zeldin reported... 5.6 million cash on hand, which rivals Swazi actually. So, you know, again, you should you shouldn't count out the Republicans because again, there was a bloodbath on Long Island. You're going to see some trouble for Democrats in suburbia and rural New York. And also, Kathy Hochul, again, despite her fun- fundraising prowess, you you had somebody a New Yorker on what was it Jeopardy who didn't even know the, the her name. So like. Her name, you, you know, we're in this political circle where, of course, right. we're following the ins and outs and everything. But like to the average New Yorker, like, are people watching it as closely? Right. Like you had a massive scandal oh, she, with the former yeah. governor and now you've got the current governor who has been playing it safe. So how much are New Yorkers really watching and, you know, what's going to be a, a big factor for them when they go to the ballot box? Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think I think she's keen. She seems keenly aware of that and knows she's got, you know, her, her big shot here with uh, where we started the, you know, her policy agenda and her budget, especially to sort of make her mark here before the election. So we'll see if she's able to execute on that. Uh, obviously, she's got to win a primary before any uh, talk of the general election. But um no, the Republican field will be very interesting to watch, especially as you have the Giuliani name also close to Trump, considering Andrew Giuliani worked for the former president. And then, uh, you know, the strength of Lee Zeldin, at least early on in, in endorsements and such. And then Astorino, who was a nominee before. So that'll be interesting to watch as well. All right. Bernadette Hogan of The New York Post and a grown world of Politico New York. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you.